watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies. The Big Sick, The Beguiled, and Baby Driver. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. And, and you know what else it's... Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just it's, we're just going go right like, through. We're, like, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh, too short to ask you what the hell's going on with you. Yeah, no, because guys, you know, we are reviewing three sort of major summer indie-ish movies uh, this week. And uh, we just want to get right into them and uh, not waste any time telling you what's up with us. The In a nutshell, we had a long Pride weekend. Very and, long. And now we're here. Uh, so that's pretty much... Through a miracle of God, really. R- miraculously. We are here today, and we have seen these three films, and we are going to talk about them. They all start with Bs. I don't know what else to say. So let's just dive into uh, our first one, shall we? Which is The Big Sick, and it is our Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week! Pick of the Week! Pick, pick, pick is the Pick, pick of the, the week. week! Kumail is a Pakistani comic who meets an American graduate student named Emily at one of his stand-up shows. As their relationship blossoms, he soon becomes worried about what his traditional Muslim parents will think of her. When Emily suddenly comes down with an illness that leaves her in a coma, Kumail finds himself developing a bond with her deeply concerned mother and father. I'm looking for Emily Gardner. She was checked in tonight. There's an infection. We put her in a medically induced coma. Coma. You should call her family. Thank you, Kamala. We're gonna handle things from here. I think I'm just gonna wait anyway. You guys broke up. I'm not sure why you're here. I'm just gonna stay for a second. Is this seat? Okay. Is that lady still looking at me? The Big Sick uh, is directed by Michael Showalter, uh, who we interviewed last year when he directed mm-hmm. Hello, My Name is Doris. And uh, this is this was a movie that was a big hit at Sundance this year, and it it feels like a Sundance movie, doesn't it? It really does. There's a certain balance of like quippy modern stand-up-y humor and like emotional takes on serious issues that just says like Sundance, <laughs> just like that. Uh, one movie in particular that I feel like it's very similar to is Obvious Child. Oh right, yeah. Uh, just in the sense that it follows a stand-up uh, mm-hmm. who is uh, sort of confronting a major medical issue, mm-hmm. um, medical and, issue, and uh, right down to. Uh, Right down to there sort of being a climactic, like, I'm going to just lay all my shit out there from the stage. Yeah, and sort of taking, like, a new relationship through, having mm-hmm. a new relationship go through something uh, very bumpy. Yes. That's one way of putting it. So, <laughs> this is a film that you have just now, as we're sitting down, come from watching. I just left it. And I'm still, I'm still all amped up on it. I'm, yeah. Uh, I think it's very often that we've ever recorded right after seeing the movie. Yeah, it's pretty um, It's a good feeling. Mm. I like it. It's all fresh. I don't remember how it goes. <laughs> Tell me about the movie. <laughs> uh, so so I think that, you know, this is a movie that is, it's inspired by a true story mm-hmm. of, uh, of Kumail Nanjiani, uh, who plays himself in the film, and then uh, his wife, Emily Gordon, which, spoiler, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they end up getting married in real life. And um, so they, uh, when they were, you know, meeting and starting to date, these were the circumstances that were happening with them that, you know, that he was, you know, he's from this, this, uh, you know, Pakistani immigrant Muslim family and, uh, and his family very much wanted him to settle down with, um, a Pakistani Muslim girl. 
and then you know it was very uh, um, it was very inconvenient mm-hmm. that he fell in love with Emily. In a lot of ways, I feel like the film is primarily about his relationship with his family, um, mm-hmm. and everything else, mm-hmm. everything that happens along the way, just tests that bond. Yeah, you know, his stand-up tests that bond. Him falling in love with Emily tests that bond. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Emily is hospitalized due to a mysterious infection. Um, that leads to her being put into a medically induced coma. Her parents come in from North Carolina, played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. And things to say about that. Yes. <laughs> Is it time or will we get to it? Uh, let's dive in. Okay. Question number one. I don't know, you know, you know a lot more people in the business. Who can you talk to to make sure that Holly Hunter is in every movie that uh, comes out from now until forever? I mean, I will write all the emails. Can to you please? That that, I will write all the tweets to people who don't follow me back <laughs> to try to get that to <laughs> happen. Including me. Because <laughs> I keep, keep waiting for I'm glad you're finally acknowledging that you don't follow me. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just going to make things more tense now, though. But so <laughs> Holly Hunter, I have loved forever. Mm-hmm. I was I had a precocious, way too young obsession with the movie The Piano when it came out. <laughs> 1993. <laughs> oh, that's a funny one. <laughs> that was, uh, and I really, it was just because I think it was Entertainment Weekly. I'm going to come back to that. Man, that is that, your that, route. That, that magazine got me all hopped up and ready to watch that movie. And I made my mother take me to see it. And I was, I repeat, 11 years old. Did you watch it with your mother? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, we watched it together at the Galleria Theater. And uh, and I was just I was convinced that I totally got it and, <laughs> and I definitely overcome. And you still do. You still are. I remember this one time there was a Entertainment Weekly then ran a column later on that um, a female journalist wrote that was something called like ten things men just don't get about the piano, and I was <laughs> livid and I wrote in I wrote a letter to Entertainment really? Weekly to be like. How dare you? How old are you at I'm this like, point? I, I'm like, I think at that point I was probably twelve. Uh, so I was like, I'm what? like, I'm like, this was last week. Uh, this was our <laughs> retrospective anniversary issue. Uh, no, I was like twelve, and I wrote this letter, and I was just like, I got all that and more. You are. You sound like <laughs> I um, have always been like this. Is what I'm trying to insufferable. say. Insufferable. <laughs> yes, I was. I really was. You're like was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good thing that changed. Uh, she's fantastic. She's so good in this movie. Oh my god. Um, she I, is, I mean, I know to call her Firecracker is a cliche because she was once in a movie called Miss Firecracker. <laughs> um, but I mean, she just when she blows up, it's amazing. There's nothing like it. Um, there's this scene of her in, in the comedy club where she confronts a heckler that is just I could watch that mm-hmm. just forever oh. on loop. Um, mm-hmm. In this movie, like you mentioned, she's married to. A very schlubby Ray Romano, mm-hmm. who I've never loved him more than I loved him in this movie. And I if mean, they could be a couple in real life, yeah. that in would this, be fantastic. I've never loved him more than this either, in the sense that I've never loved him. So <laughs> this is the, yeah, same. This same. Is, these are the first feelings of positivity I've ever had for Ray Romano. But they're really strong. They are great together, and they so they're so hilariously physically mismatched. Yes, <laughs> it's like watching a Doberman and a Chihuahua sort of like bicker in a hospital lobby. He also has never looked bigger. Like he, I know. He, like he must have gained weight or something in this role, but he also looks like taller. No, he's like yeah, I know. He he's looks, not he's dwarfed like, he's like by three uh, times her height, right? Yeah, maybe like, they must be relative. There, there's, there, uh, yeah, it's a matter of perspective. I think it's just playing tricks on our eyes, right? Because he's always been standing next to the guy that plays his brother on that show, who oh, yeah. like dwarfs him. Yeah, exactly. And With then in Brad this case, Garrett, why yeah, I know that. Mm, very nice. There's a scene where when they're fighting in a hospital, and Holly Hunter quite literally just circles him. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a weird animal fight yeah, mating she's dance like, yeah, thing. Yeah, you want to talk about coward? You want to talk about cowardice? 
Ooh, that's good. Thank you. It's very. Can we do Holly like, Oh, come on. Can we yeah. do karaoke where you do it like Holly Hunter? Oh, I, I guess I could try. Yeah, well, 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 twist your arm on this one. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Sit around and wait for you. I can't do that. There's no turning back. Very. It's good. a little dirge of you bushy at times. Mm, no, I can but, uh, so I have to watch that. I have to watch that. Uh, so yes, Holly Hunter is amazing in this. Ray Romano is great, and um, so it's really about Kumail sort of being caught between these two sets of parents. Mm. Because Emily is sidelined for most of the movie. Yeah. Like, Emily is gone for the entire second act. She's just she's just a, a body in a bed. Mm-hmm. And so it really becomes this sort of, you know, intimate story about sort of like that timeless immigrant struggle of sort of like assimilation versus, you know, loyalty to tradition. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, where you have, uh, you know, Kumail sort of quite literally being pulled between his own immigrant family and like this couldn't be more American North Carolina right. white family. And, uh, you know, and to having those, those kinds of timeless arguments with his family, like what did you want for me if not to become American? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That by, was a really interesting moving here. dialogue that they had. Um, and I feel like there's a part of it where it's just like, even outside of the context of, of an immigrant story, it's sort of about, standing up for yourself in times when people pull you in one way or another and like mm. not being someone who tries to please everyone and doing things that take care of yourself and, and are your own self-interest mm-hmm. um i think it's kind of a universal tale that this this movie tells oh yeah absolutely i think that um you know just becoming your own person mm-hmm. you yeah. know i mean growing up yeah growing up and and you know and and just sort of finding your adult path mm-hmm. uh it also, uh, I think, provides something that is so sorely needed in our country right now, which is a normalizing picture of a Muslim family. Yes. Yes. Just like this is this is what we don't see mm-hmm. in pop culture. You know, we don't see just, just an average, everyday Muslim American family uh, just being normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and weird like other families are yeah exactly and still yeah still allowed to be normal and quirky and have all their tics and everything and to also still very much honor their traditions and Mm -hmm. not apologize for it you know there's the movie does not the movie is not opposed to the tradition of arranged marriage Mm -hmm. it you know Kumail embraces it very much as a matter of fact that this is what his family wants and he's not like I don't believe in that that's so barbaric he's like that's you know he's like this is what they want for me and I don't know that that's what I want for myself Mm mm-hmm uh, so I think it's, it's attitude, uh, toward it all, I think is, is essential and, mm-hmm. and, and it makes sense because Kumail co-wrote it with his wife, mm-hmm. you know, so they're bringing a lot of their own perspective, all of their own perspective into, into mm-hmm. the story. And it's also a matter of like, just like his putting off a, a difficult conversation out of fear for mm-hmm. a long time until like a circumstance arises where it's, he's just confronted with the ability or with the inability to avoid it any longer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's tough. It is tough. Uh, and Kumail plays it beautifully. This is mm-hmm. by far his biggest uh, role yet. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's the leading man, and mm-hmm. he's so he's such a um, he's he's so not a firecracker, um, you know, in his in his way. Um, mm-hmm. But it he, it's he's still so strong and so solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets to play like a romantic leading man, mm-hmm. and obviously he's very dashing. Mm-hmm. And you know, and he hits the emotional beats, and you know, and he he has to play off of these seasoned pros like Holly Hunter and Ray Romano and you know he holds his own uh so he's terrific this is just a a huge success for him all around as 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 a personal story as a sort of um you know star making leading role all around this is just a shining successful moment for Kumail sometimes I think one fear of mine with this movie when it's a movie about comedians starring a lot of comedians there's Mm kind of like a um 
you're expecting something to be funny. Right. Um, and it was legitimately funny. It was. The whole time. I mean, yeah. you know, they're definitely, it, 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 it goes back and forth and there's mm-hmm. a lot of depth. There was, you know, there's a little bit, a bit of crying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, I mean, I love any movie where it's like comics talking to each other like comics. Mm-hmm. And Just being here, really mean to each other. Being really aggressively mean to each other. <laughs> I and, love that. Uh, and, uh, and Kumail's sort of best comedy friends in this movie are played by the wonderful A.D. Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Bo Burnham, who also mm-hmm. was uh, sort of the best dude in Rough Night mm-hmm. uh, to Paul Downs' character. So it is uh, everything's coming up, Bo, <laughs> in the fine comedies of the summer season. So uh, so they're all great. The acting's all great. It is genuinely funny. You know, I mean, it does still, at the end of the day, it's it's very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, these are, from what I, as far as I know, first-time feature screenwriters. And you can kind of tell, you know, like it's a very you know, sort of like traditional script. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, you know, there's really nothing that's so surprising uh, that happens, but that's okay. Yeah, I mean, when <laughs> uh, it's done well. It and... has heart. It just has all the heart. It has all the laughs. Uh, and, you know, and so Zoe Kazan plays mm-hmm. Emily in the film. And, and she does quite a bit of the sort of emotional destabilizing, I guess you could say, of the movie because she is has, and has always been as an actor is sort of a real emotional live wire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she can edge into in extreme intensity very quickly. And so that was, a, was another interesting point. Uh, having Holly Hunter play her mother, I felt mm-hmm. like there was a good like. Uh, you could see the yeah connection, the connection there. there. Yeah. Uh, Speaking so, of connection, her chemistry with uh, Kumail is outstanding. I feel like they really capture mm-hmm. that like first first sight in love feeling um that just sort of kinetic energy that mm-hmm. people share yeah yeah you definitely feel the sparks between them mm-hmm. and you're rooting for them mm-hmm. and um you know even though we know where it's going in terms of like okay there's this thing he's not telling her and you know so we know that there's gonna be trouble ahead and then it turns out to be a lot more trouble than anticipated with the medical things that happen mm-hmm. but uh but you know I, it shows that uh you know the strength of their Bond can survive much, much, much obstacles. So there's that. They have that going for it. I'm definitely going to give this one a binge it. Yeah. It is our pick of the week. Um, The Big Sick is rated R for language, including some sexual references. And that brings us to movie number two, which is The Beguiled. Corporal John McBurney is an injured Union soldier who finds himself on the run as a deserter during the Civil War. He seeks refuge at an all-female Southern boarding school, where the teachers and students seem more than willing to help. Soon, sexual tensions lead to dangerous rivalries as women tend to his wounded leg while offering him comfort and companionship. Miss Martha! Is he dead? No. Get him inside. Quick! You're our most unwelcome visitor, and we do not propose to entertain you. You'll find them easily amused. You won't be here long enough for that. How did you end up in this place? Why are you so interested in me? I admire your strength. I'm just trying to give them what they need to survive in these times. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? To be taken far away from here. Come with me. He seems to be a sensitive person. Does he? So as we were getting ready to see this movie earlier in the day, Jason's like, are you we're still on for the beguiled? And I said, yes, are you excited? And he wrote back. Um, Why would you ask that? With confetti as the uh, uh, accessory to that text, because he has been looking forward to this movie for a minute. Well, you know, guys, I, I will admit that I am a big Sofia Coppola fan. Everyone's shocked. Everyone. Uh, <laughs> Jaws on the ground. 
And, you know, I mean, like, it's not an easy person to be a fan of. And she has certainly made it difficult uh, with this one. Um, and some of the comments that she's made in interviews. And, uh, and yeah, so it's... You do have that but, thread of being of, of you both have uh, in common your obsession with teenage girls and the way they think. That's true. That's true. We do have that in common. And, uh, and we were both were brutally panned for our supporting roles in The Godfather Part 3. <laughs> so, so really... Both born into great wine families. Just, just looking out for her. Just looking out for my sis. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I was excited for it and I mean, I, the reviews out of the can premiere were very mixed and so I certainly had tempered my expectations. Um, but here we are and you know, I mean, we find Sophia sort of back in her happy place of stories about bored, unsympathetic, cooped up white women <laughs> that are shot beautifully. Yeah. Gorgeous. And, uh, and also sort of finding a way to tell a story that given the context of the civil war, feels like it really couldn't be more frivolous <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i guess there was a, a lot more going on <laughs> yeah there were, <laughs> what there was were, in these four walls there were some things there were some things going on and um and uh, honestly like i've i've been really i was struggling with this one as we were watching it because on the one hand i was so seduced by the visual aesthetic mm-hmm. so it, it appears to be shot entirely with natural light yeah it really does um which is just stunning um, and it also has almost no music. Uh, there's maybe th- there's about ten seconds of synths that pop up at three cues throughout the movie that From are Phoenix that are still credited to Phoenix <laughs> um, in the end credits. Uh, so it's, it's a re- I mean this this uh, location where we shot is so beautiful and it seems so <laughs> it familiar. So familiar to me. And um, and so guys, it's the Lemonade House. <laughs> they shot this in the Lemonade House. They quite literally shot it in the Lemonade House after Lemonade was already a thing. And um, and That's, this uh, that is you must know that right. That is, I mean, and I and they well, I know that um, Elle Fanning and Kirsten Dunst figured it out uh, when they were there because they then made the rather poor choice of posing like no. like 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 Beyonce and Serena Williams on that one chair. No. Kirsten Dunst did? Yeah. Her and Elle Fanning. I mean Elle Fanning I can give she's young. But Kirsten Dunst, come on. <laughs> well I mean I think what happened was they were You're there clearly an adult. They were there and they were like, Oh, this is the house and then they like saw the chair and they're like, That's the chair. And I mean I, I you know, like and should they have known better since they're playing literally slave owning white women from the Civil War era. Mm. Yes, they should have known better. And Sofia Coppola, bless her, she makes it so hard because, you know, so here she is making this this remake of an old Clint Eastwood movie that I will admit I've never seen. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I'm fine. Which I, is from a book. And uh, Yes, from a book. And I do know... Which I have never read. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, we actually didn't see the movie either. <laughs> We're just basing this off a series of think pieces we've read. Um, but, uh, but, you know, so there's the factor of her having, you know... We should do a podcast of reviews of think pieces <laughs> about movies without I mean, ever seeing the movie. I mean, let's be real. We kind of do that. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I haven't seen a movie in a year. So there's there's a combination of factors that you know. So Sofia Coppola has has her has notoriously written out a slave mm-hmm. character from the story, and she has said that it's because she felt like it would she would not be able to she didn't want there to be a slave character that's just the side character. Um, you know, she felt like that would be, you know, not doing justice to the gravity. Of slavery. Well, yeah, and she's <clears throat> done so many pieces where she focuses on people of color that she didn't really need to 
you know, work one in here, right? Well, I mean, like, you know, she's going to tell the story she's going to tell. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, that's like, and, she's going to do what she's going to do. Well, no, I mean, like, I think that, you know, it makes sense to me that Sofia Coppola would tell stories about privileged white women because she's a privileged white woman. And so, you know, like, I don't expect her to tell some story about, like, you know, like, you know, street life. Uh, or, you know, some story about like black liberation movement or something like that's not she doesn't know those stories, you know, so she's not telling that's those why stories. We need more black female directors. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. Um, I feel bad for and, clapping there that she could have done that. And, and you're also recovering from an injury. So you're I kind am, of doing I a sad little sort of seal collab. You're, like, you're barely just kind of sort of just slapping your palms at each other. But uh, give me chum. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, so and I and so I get her explanation. Um, but then to to have this story that is about these, you know, that we know that, that there used to be slaves because there there's one line, one throwaway line that's given to a little girl at the very beginning where she says the slaves ran away. And so we know this was, you know, this so was... So then the, we feel bad for them immediately because they don't have any slaves anymore. Exactly. These poor girls. How are they making do? <laughs> um, and it's so it's such a weird movie. So here's my question to you. Mm, please. Is this movie, and no pun intended, is this a black comedy? Yes. And see, I didn't even, when I was watching it, I was like, why does this, what is weird about this? What is not like totally landing? Because the, the form of it is so like austere art Mm -hmm. film. Um, But then like the content of it. It it, also feels like a play. I think that's another thing that it really kind of rang rang with me is that it's sort of all takes place in one place. And it's like the timeline is very short. Yeah. uh, And it feels very much like a, like the interaction, the dialogue feels like a play. Yeah. It definitely does. But that does. said, I do feel like it's a comedy. Yeah. It's it, a dark It has comedy. to be. It has mm-hmm. to be a dark comedy. There's no other way this story makes any sense. No. Tonally. I mean, we laughed a lot. Oh, yeah. I and mean, there's like lots of, but like I felt almost bad that I was laughing because, you know, I was thinking like, oh, people are saying this is, and you know, she she won Best Director at Cannes. And so people are wanting to make this into, you know, sort of a feminist triumph. But I feel like. This is the lobster part too. This movie is almost <laughs> anti-woman. Yes. <laughs> like it makes yes, the women look terrible. Yes. Colin Farrell is, is completely innocent he's the hero of he this is movie. he is he's a sympathetic character the worst the worst he can be found guilty of prior to them doing a horrible thing to him is being emotionally manipulative and leading the women on right that i mean is, and he presents like and he's sort of like there's a question there's certainly questions of whether or not he is a safe person to have there mm-hmm. but he doesn't do anything to cross that if anything they cross that with him there's right. a scene where he's like laying there passed out and Elle Fanning goes and starts just like full on like sex kissing him on the mouth. Oh, is that what the technical term is? Sex kissing, I okay. think. That's what the French call it. Um, so I'm just like, I know I know sex kissing when I see it. That's what Elle Fanning is doing to poor Colin Farrell. He's basically sleeping. Yeah, it's- if anything, he's just trying to preserve, you know, he's he's trying to manipulate one of them into loving him so that he can stay there because he's yeah. uh, he's a deserter yeah, he's, he's a from deserter. ireland he he's, he's has a no Yankee, home so he's on the good he's side he's a mercenary yeah <laughs> he's yeah he's clearly a, he's a, on the good side and the northerner yeah. um so he's just he can't go back out there if he goes back out there he's gonna get captured mm-hmm. um he's severely injured He's just trying to make do. Um, and they uh, descend upon him like vultures. They really it's do. Very, you know, it's very funny the way that it happens and the way that they do it. I think that mm-hmm. it, it, there's no way it's not a comedy. Speaking of comedy. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you. Okay. The whole time when he's flirting with Kristen Dunst's character, right, who's, Edwina. Who really brings back the... Um, the severity and glumness of her hidden figures character. Yeah, it sure does. He's, you know, he's complimenting how beautiful she is. Mm-hmm. Is that supposed to be funny? I was wondering that. <laughs> and that's a horrible question for you to ask, Rebecca. It's very anti-woman of you. But 
she's, she's okay, but it's like so it's so like, much like, and her character is like a, so severe yeah he's like i've never seen a beauty as delicate as yours in all my travels that's supposed to be a joke it feels like it's they cut to her and she's just like sitting there with a sort of like sourpuss yeah. <laughs> she's just like sort of just like resting her like chin on her chest like <laughs> she's like oh um I feel like, and I, and they, you know, I think that she maybe is trying to play that ugly. I think she is. And because then later, you know, when she starts to make, he makes her start to feel kind of beautiful and she kind of lets her hair down and she smiles and like, oh, there's Kirsten Dunst. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the thing about Kirsten Dunst is her face looks completely different. Like it looks like a different person whenever when, she's not smiling. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it, and, it, it, and it's not a great look. <laughs> on her <laughs> i feel uh, like she's doing that on purpose yeah i mean she uses she's using it you know smartly she has a, a, a lot of range with her face she does and i'm beautiful I've, to, to not smiling <laughs> <laughs> um uh. and then and then you know and, and has to share the screen with nicole kim and Elle fanning and you know and that's that's a with with and features Colin those delicate. Farrell, man, <laughs> he just keeps getting better looking. Mm. I was kind of into the schlubby. Apparently, I like schlubby. I was kind of into schlubby, the lobster Colin Farrell. Mm-hmm. But now this like now he like like de-aged another twenty years. He's like has his beard, and then he gets all clean shaven, and he looks uh, like. I, and, and Nicole Kidman looks just like she did in Far and Away. Oh yeah, she does. She really does. Um, and uh, and I will say that I was let down that there was no Colin Farrell nudity. Mm. I thought for sure yeah. we were going to get like the girls spying on him in the shower mm-hmm. or any of the things that I would have done if I was there. <laughs> um, but they don't do any of that. And the closest we get is some side butt when Nicole Kimmins kind of sponge bathing oh, him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I'll take. But, you know, <laughs> it, it could have been more. It could have been more. So uh, so the movie kind of veers almost a little into camp, even though it's so serious, because um there is a notorious line from the movie mommy dearest in which joan crawford screams christina bring me the axe <laughs> and in this movie we have nicole kidman saying and i mean this in all sincerity she's saying edwina bring me the anatomy book <laughs> so it just feels like an homage it does. to one of the most campy moments in film history it does but goddamn if it isn't completely straight-faced it is uh, yeah. while while going through this uh, so it's a weird, it's a weird kind of amalgam of, you know, like the tone is, is so resolutely serious and somber and we're sort of like, where is all this going? Mm-hmm. And then really it's this sort of, it's like a giggly sex romp, um, <laughs> you know. For the first part. And then the second part is like, uh, kind of a like, giggly horror movie. Right. And even then, you know, it's sort of like, you know, it's, <laughs> it really is like, it's so funny because I heard, you know, a friend of mine on the way out of the movie, you know, raving to the publicist being like, oh, it's so feminist. And I'm like, is it though? Mm. Like, like it's, you know, so it's, you know, written and directed by a woman and it's about a group of women who are providing for themselves and during a difficult time. But like the way that it shows them just sort of pick this man literally to pieces, mm-hmm. um, you know, while he's just like trying to like fend them off. Um, you know, it just feels like they're, they're, you know, like they're, it, it, it does acknowledge female sexuality, certainly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it feels just sort of like, you know, it's almost like a farce, like, oh, these, these, these buttoned up Southern bells under their corsets are just these like seething pits of sexual need. And the second that, you know, some like handsome Irishman comes into the house, they're all just coming undone. Wow. That's a pretty good synopsis of the movie. Thank you. I feel like you really <laughs> nailed it. Hit the nail on the head. Um, I mean, I do feel like Nicole Kidman's character uh, is pretty reserved, and I feel like it, w- it it's not such a clear case that she's 
uh, trying to bed him. Um, you know, Kirsten Dunn's character is a little bit more on the desperate side, and she seems yeah. to be becoming of well, an age. And this is a, a dire circumstance where, mm-hmm. you know, men in the South are all dying. Right. Um, and then the rest of them, well, El Fanning's, you know, a, a blossoming young woman who's, you know, sexually curious. And then the rest of yeah. them are just little girls who just want to be, one one little girl kind of flips one them, which particular. is funny. Yeah, but the rest adorable. just kind of either want to be his friend or... And there's luckily nothing that gets odd in that in that department. Yeah, he sort of knows how to be all things to all women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if anything, it's almost like he pays a price for being for having too much game. Uh, <laughs> he pays a price for being too good at sort of figuring out each woman's deal mm-hmm. and sort of giving her what it is that she wants from him. He's and he's like he's basically a gigolo. Yes. He's yeah. like he's like, you know, he's a, a deserter turned gigolo. Um, and he could have had a good thing going but for himself. But at the himself. end of the day, he doesn't. And they exact their revenge. So, I'm, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily I mean, the not pun- feminist. But the punishment doesn't really fit the crime. <laughs> and what could be more feminist than that? <laughs> you know, it's Sound just, familiar? It's just, <laughs> yeah, they're just not sympathetic. And, you know, I mean, like, if people were offended about the Chris Pine love interest in Wonder Woman, and, like, just wait until you see the presence of what Colin Farrell does to these poor bitches. <laughs> and to you, I saw And you. to me. And speaking, and to you. Um, okay. But in, 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 I, I have to take a moment to address an insane marketing campaign this movie has been doing, wherein they have tried to make the hashtag vengeful bitches a thing. Really? And, and not only that. But the influencers, I'm doing air quotes, because I will always do air quotes if I ever use the word influencers. The influencers they've reached out to to carry out this campaign are Real Housewives. What? Like, I have seen Real Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, all all the different women I follow from Bravo shows have been doing sponsored posts about vengeful bitches and like showing off the swag that they got to like go to the movie premiere. So they want gay guys to watch this movie? I mean, I think they're trying to put that out there. So I think that I should have, at the time that struck me as being so wrong head because I was like, this is a Sofia Coppola movie. And you were just eating the bait. And, um, and well, no, I was like, oh, this is so embarrassing for them. Like, don't they know how, how like what a bad fit it is for this like highbrow Sofia Coppola movie to have these like lowbrow reality, you know, stars that are out there stumping for it? Mm-hmm. But now having watched it and now figuring mm. it out, I'm like, okay, well, maybe that was, should have been my first hint that it's actually a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's meant to be this sort of like, you know, kind of like um, farcical hothouse depiction of ripened female sexuality run amok. Um, you know, is that, you know, they have Stasi Schroeder pimping for it on Instagram. That's a Vanderpump Rules person. Thank you. I don't know who that is. I thought that was like the uh, German Secret Service. <laughs> I mean, she kind of carries out uh, friend executions in a way that's similar to the Secret Service. But um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's all, it's all strange. It's all strange. And it's not like Sofia Coppola has, has, is, is humorless as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bling Ring in particular had the whole B story in that movie was was pure farce comedy mm-hmm. with Emma Watson and Leslie Mann. That entire storyline was complete comedy, and it was hilarious. Um, and then there's the more problematic issue mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. humor in Lost in Translation, which has which was thoroughly shredded <laughs> by our good friend Ingu Kang in a in a column that she wrote recently. Um, and that's that's hard that's hard that's it's always hard to like see your your darlings aren't as pure as you remember them Mm -hmm. because certainly as a white dude like i was not aware of how super incredibly racist lost in translation was whenever i first watched it 
And um, because, I mean, I was, it came out when I was in college. So, I mean, I didn't even have the beginnings of any sort of comprehending of, of you know, it was my first glimpse of like Tokyo. Right. You know, so, um, and I think that now it will be remembered as a movie sort of akin to like Breakfast at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. where it's like, it's mm-hmm. a great classic American film that has an extremely racist, um, you know, uh, uh, Asian uh, sort of, you know, subtext to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because there's some, there's some stuff in that movie that, crosses over because clearly you know she's trying to play up sort of like the strangeness of a strange land a strange culture to make these characters feel even more alone mm-hmm. and more alienated but then obviously there's some bits that just become full-on racist right the lip my stocking bit in particular right. yes yes um which is it's it's appalling that a grown woman thought that that was <laughs> a grown white woman was like yeah that's hilarious right i mean being from such a privileged background you would think that she would have been had more i don't know worldly experience I from the bay area no less you right? know the yeah. coppola's uh, but uh, but alas, and I wonder I wonder if Bill Murray was like, nah, it's hilarious, keep it in. Probably, yeah. I, could see <laughs> I blame like... Scarlett Johansson for the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, if we can trace her along the lines, mm-hmm, we see mm-hmm. her at. Um... I mean, the threads are all there. The threads are all there in Ghost in the Shell. You mean your bi- you mean your surprise binge it Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> it was not for her. <laughs> um, we almost gave this one pick of the week. Um, we did. I mean, clearly uh, the big sick was where what deserved it, but yeah. we I I had a really good time with this one. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say also that you know Nicole Kidman now is at a point in her career where like everything harkens back to something. So this is like dead center between Nicole Kidman and the others raising children mm. away from men and grand manse and Cold Mountain doing a southern accent mm. away from men in the Civil War and a grand manse. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and those are two movies in which she was great, and she's great in this one as well. So what are you going to rate this one, Jason? <laughs> I see you two are indecisive about this one. Uh, I am a little bit. I am a little bit too. I'm really not like, yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I'm going to go binge it. Are you? Yeah. You're just going to go for I'm gonna it? I'm going to binge it. Um, oh, man. I'm going to go, I guess I'll, I'll say binge minus. I know we're so like willy-nilly about busting out pluses and minuses, but I'm going to go binge minus. Hmm. Um, just because there's just so many little things about where I'm just like, Sophia Coppola, why are you making this so difficult? Yeah. I mean, the Lemonade House thing is a pretty, is a pretty uh, indelible mark. I think the character, I don't know. I feel like the oh, movie it- is so tight that like adding another character, I could see that really being difficult to do oh, yeah. thoroughly and, and still make sense of the plot. No, I think that she made the right choice for the story that she's telling by by removing that character. I think that makes perfect sense. I'm not mad at her about that. It but would I just do- be great to see her do something else with a little bit more uh, diversity. And did I already mention the thing about how she said she didn't know what the Bechdel test was? No. Yeah, that was another thing. In some interview, somebody asked her, I think they were probably trying to like flatter her, and they're like, oh, well, your movie definitely passes the Bechdel test. And she was like, what's that? And they were like, oh, you know the Bechdel test. And she's like, mm. And they had a zoetrope is right across from City Lights books. Come on, you must have seen. <laughs> they had to explain. to watch out for. They had to explain to her. And she's like, oh. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it can never be, it cannot be overstated how oblivious and out of touch Sofia Coppola is. Mm. But, you know, I don't think that, you know, I think that as an artist, that's part of her whole vibe. Yeah. That's how she's able to make these sort of like dreamy films about extremely unsympathetic white women like Marie Antoinette and the slave owning white women of this movie. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but I mean, I still, you know, she hasn't lost me yet. It's going to take a lot. It would. Um, so The Beguiled is rated R for some sexuality and medical gore. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Baby Driver. Talented getaway driver Baby relies on the beat of his personal soundtrack to be the best in his game. After meeting the woman of his dreams, 
he sees a chance to ditch his shady lifestyle and make a clean break. Coerced into working for a crime boss, Baby must face the music as a doomed heist threatens his life, love, and freedom. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? They call it go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y, Baby. Do you have a... Uh, you drive, right? I can drive. You drive. Do you drive often? Or you drive when you go home? Yeah, when I go home, I always rent a car. Yeah. Do you have, like, music that you drive to that makes you drive fast? Um, I think the funny thing is, so the last time that I got a ticket while I was home, I oh was... Boy. I was... I can't wait to hear what I this was is. Driving, I was driving from um, a friend's house in West Virginia up to... I think I was trying to drive up to Kent. And, you know, whenever you live in a place like San Francisco, when you go back there and you just have these, like, these, these, like, straightaways that just mm. go on for miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I could go 120 miles an hour and I would not endanger a soul. Um, it's really challenging to not do that. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that when I did do that and I did get a ticket that I was listening to Gillian Welsh. Wow, really? Yeah. Wait, were you really going 120? No, no. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, I was probably going like 80. Because you're also, because there, then there's a part of me, I'm someone who's always rushing. I'm always, always in a you rush. walk so fast. Yes, I get that from my father. Um, but, so I'm always, always, always in a rush. And I'm like, okay, like if I'm, you know, and I'm trying to run the numbers in my like non-number working head. I'm like, <laughs> One, okay. One, two, four, three, hundred. <laughs> okay, 4 p.m., I'm there. Um <laughs> You know, where I'm just like, okay, so... If, if Jason if, if, left if, the gay bar at 60 it's 60 p.m. miles an hour, then that's one mile a minute. If I'm going 80, then that could trim up to 40 minutes, you know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, not not really being able to run the numbers. Um, but yeah, so I definitely am like, oh, it's so... The temptation is, I don't know, it feels like it takes so much self-control to not just fucking speed mm-hmm. when you are in a straightaway like that. Um, yeah. So I, I can I can relate to um, well no it doesn't really <laughs> I'm like yeah, I can relate to the baby driver no I can't because that's not the reason why he drives fast he drives fast because he's a getaway driver mm-hmm. and it's his trade. So um, when I was a getaway driver, oh, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, no, but when I was in my uh, early twenties, I had so many speeding tickets in a row that I had my license suspended. Ooh. Um, and I think for most of them, you were drunk. <laughs> Really? That's irrelevant to the story. <laughs> the real reason license um, is No, it, it's not. Um, it was for speeding tickets. Um, but I think I had, uh, at the time, I noticed that every time that I got a speeding ticket, I was listening to Led Zeppelin. Oh. That is my drive so fast I, music. I really thought you were going to say the 10,000 Mean the Ice Unplugged. <laughs> no, those were all the other times when I didn't get it. <laughs> those, those, those were for all the forlorn drives home. Yeah, just the slow... That wouldn't meanders. Those weren't your road tunes. No, those were not my. Uh, no, I always baby driver jams. I also like every time that I go back home, and this has only been starting to change in the last year or so. But normally, I'm so excited to go back home and rent a car because I just load up one of my old fashioned CD wallets mm, uh, with mm-hmm. this because I never ever play CDs here in no. this apartment, and uh, so I'm just like, oh, finally, I can listen to these things that I only have on CD, um, and so that's other like, things that you don't have digitally. That you have on CD? 
Um, I think there is some, maybe some things on CD that uh, that are not available on like, streaming services. Oh, interesting. Um, and and certainly anything, everything that I have on CD still are things that are not available on vinyl. You know, you can um, rip CDs, right? Uh, you know, but the, were you well, asleep during the, that, that period? That of time? technology doesn't exist anymore because they no longer have disc drives. Yeah, you can get a USB disc drive. USB disc drive, a likely story. Who has that kind of money? <laughs> Someone who has this much vinyl. <laughs> well, no, this is actually the person who doesn't have that because they spend all their money on vinyl. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, they have vinyl rippers too. Uh, well, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I guess there's really no point. Yes. Um, so uh, I definitely enjoy the combination of music and driving. With that said, I did not necessarily enjoy this combination of oh. music and driving. Yes. Wondering how you're gonna get there. Yes. Um, you're like been circling for ten minutes. <laughs> um, it's the holding pattern. So I was watching this movie with such a sense of sort of increasing doom just because I knew when I sat down to watch it that like I'm like oh this this movie everybody fucking loves it like people are going ape shit for this movie and you know it is like incredibly well reviewed mm-hmm. and I sat down to watch it and I was like all right movie charm me and which is always weird that you say that as soon as they lower the lights I know well I mean like you know we all have our superstitions you, all, you stand up and we all and, know what's coming uh, next <laughs> I'm like, charm the pants off me. And then I even unbutton my pants just to give the movie a, uh, an easier way the to get them off of me. flashlight comes on and the guy nods his head knowingly. <laughs> and then I just wave my little VIP ticket at them. I'm like, I'm allowed. <laughs> um, you fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rebecca and I did have a very talkative person next to us at the Beguiled who then fell asleep about five minutes into the movie. <laughs> he got all tuckered out. He really tuckered himself out from all that talking. So... So Baby Driver, I always like, I, I take no joy in disliking movies that everyone else likes because mm-hmm. it just makes me feel like I hate having to argue with people in my head. I really do. Mm-hmm. And, you like to do it out loud. And yeah, I prefer to do it out loud. On no, this I mean, podcast. I, I would rather, I would much rather agree because I'm not talking about, you know, like the, you know, populist taste. I'm talking about like, you know, like tastemaker taste, mm-hmm. you know, like people who I respect. Influencers. Influencers. Influencer taste. What Stassi think? And those people love this movie. And so I want to agree with those people, and yet I don't. Mm. Uh, so I think this is the kind of movie that all I could thought when I was watching it was like, this is just like a straight guy movie. This is the kind of oh. movie that straight guys think is fucking the coolest shit they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. All I saw watching this movie was Drive with a Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. That is what I saw watching this movie. Um, it is so similar to Drive. The, yeah. the story of it is so similar to Drive. And the tone is different because Ansel Elgort is not Ryan Gosling. <laughs> um, he looks like... Even a, if you rearrange the letters in his name? I mean, that might work. I'm trying to run those numbers. 2, 4, 6, 4 p.m. <laughs> um, he looks like a baby-faced goonie Ashton Kutcher. Wait, but Ashton Kutcher looks like a goony baby face. Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> That's what you think until you see this. Okay, okay. <laughs> this looks sort of like, it's like if, baby if Ashton Kutcher was like had like a twin he was separated from in the womb who wasn't as fully developed, <laughs> um, who didn't bake enough in the oven. Um, that would sort of be Ansel Elgort. Um, <laughs> and you know, and he's 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 very charming. in This movie, I have no problem with him like as an actor or anything like that. Um, but he his whole vibe in this is very sort of like. Those 80s nerd teen movie heroes like Ferris Bueller mm. and Anthony Michael Hall and mm. Breakfast Club. Um, he definitely is sort of in that kind of mold, um, which is where he diverges sharply from Ryan Gosling yeah. and Drive. Um, but the story, you know, of this person who is like a skilled 
driver who works as a getaway driver for criminals to you know to make money and then meets a girl and wants to get out of it and then has to get taken in for one last job and has some crazy psychopath chasing after him it's fucking drive Mm -hmm. it's drive with a guardians of the galaxy style like bombastic uh non-stop relentless crowd-pleasing soundtrack and, you know, which Drive also had a massive soundtrack, mm-hmm. but that was a very, you know, moody, icy synth soundtrack, yeah. which is more my taste personally <laughs> um, than the sort of like obvious soul and rock numbers. Not always obvious in Baby Driver. The first big number is a John Spencer Blues Explosion song. Really? Which was, I mean, just think about like, straight guys fucking their toes curling like, yes. <laughs> I mean, is it not natural one? It's not. It's not that's, isn't that folk implosion? Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> sure, yeah, I think probably. Yeah, John Spencer Folk Implosion. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and here we are in the 90s again. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop. Can't stop going back. Um, you know, so this movie is, it, it's so, it, like, it, it, it has so many different cliches and it doesn't try to, like, do anything with them. Mm. Um, you know, like, you're, keep, you're like, okay, so, like, where's the twist? You know, where's the joke? And it doesn't give you one. Um, it just like gives you all these like really obvious sort of very very familiar uh, tropes. Yeah, it sounds like from, it almost has like a John Wick feel to it. It could have a sort of a John Wick feel to it. Um, you know, it even with this. So the character of the love interest is played by Lily James um, in a in a in a performance that very strongly suggests Alabama from True Romance, mm-hmm. which is is the gold standard. Yeah, uh, for that particular character. Um, and then it also, in a weird thing that the movie does, but doesn't address. Um, so baby's whole thing is that his parents died in a car accident and he was in the car and, uh, and when he was a child and he has tinnitus in his ears as a result. And he always has earbuds in while he's doing the driving. And the reason he always has earbuds in, not just when he's doing the driving, but all the time is because it dulls the, the ringing that he mm. still hears from mm-hmm. that. Which is not heavy-handed so really, It's an awareness all. piece. It's an awareness. It's really about, I'm like, I know what tinnitus is now. <laughs> I know then? No. So here's the weird thing. In flashbacks, his mother, who's also a singer, is played by Sky Ferreira. Really? Sky Ferreira plays the mom. And the mom and the love interest look almost identical. Oh. Which is strange. And the movie hmm. just kind of lets happen. Interesting. Oh, another um, trope that is a sort of a newly established trend for uh, sort of like action comedies with wisecracking heroes uh, is to have an elderly black person back at the house that you oh, look God. after because as the did in Deadpool, Deadpool yeah. uh, now also in this film, he also has, he has an elderly black man back at the apartment who he's looking after. And so it's a bit more of a traditional caretaker relationship than the one in Deadpool where it was Leslie Uggams just busting Ryan Reynolds balls left and right. <laughs> um, but uh, so it has that going for it. I want to know about Kevin Spacey. I mean, what is there to know? He's Kevin Spacey. He's the worst. He has one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that thing is being closeted. No. Um, he, has <laughs> one, he has one speed. And, uh, and he does that speed in this movie. Mm. And, uh, you know, so whatever. Boring. I'm bored to tears by Kevin Spacey. Uh, so um, no interest there. Uh, so this movie is made by Edgar Wright. Um, and he, who previously has been such this sort of virtuoso of like high energy nerdery. Mm-hmm. Um, with, you know, mm-hmm. with Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, The World's End, um, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, you know, each one of these films uh, just had this sort of really driving, neurotic, hilarious energy to it. And this is his first time doing sort of like just a cool guy movie. 
And I and the jig is up. And I miss I miss the nerdery. He's not a cool guy. You know, yeah. I mean, just like you're a nerd. You make nerd movies. Like, why are you trying to make a cool guy movie? Right down to the point where, like, so this movie literally credits um, a choreographer, uh, a, a notable choreographer at that, Ryan Heffington, mm. who choreographs Sia's videos, starring Maddie Ziegler, co-star oh, of Book of Henry. Um, which, by the way, my father texted me this morning and said that he was going to go watch. <laughs> um, the book of henry yeah he was like he said he had a client who wanted to go see it and uh and he was like oh the reviews look terrible is it bad i'm like yeah it's pretty bad and then he texted <laughs> me afterward and it was just like no oh, i thought it'd be a lot worse than it was it was it was pretty good it was just kind of a lifetime movie type thing and i was like dad that's sexist <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but yeah so uh so you know there is a choreographer on hand just to make sure ansel elgort can like strut appealingly um, because oh, I thought it was going to be like way more dancey. No, it's not that dancey at all. Like oh. there's there's sort of like one extended sequence toward the beginning where he sort of just like struts and preens his way up and down a sidewalk, and uh, you know a Saturday Night Fever style, hmm. and uh, and that's and that's sort of the extent of it. And the rest of the choreography is you know more car choreography. You know, it's more just a series of of you know high intensity car chases. Are which, the cars cool? I mean, I guess you know. I don't know about that stuff, but I like, mean, are they old? Are they new? Are they? Uh, there's a variety of driving them. like a Toyota Corolla around. There's... Which I is mean, the I do... gold standard for that car. I, I... <laughs> Alabama Toyota Corolla, <laughs> best life. Uh, it's well, you know, in the age of Fast and Furious movies, it's sort of like. Why? And it's not like they don't know about those movies since they've been going on for about 35 years. <laughs> well, they're making a movie about a getaway driver and they've never seen Fast and the Furious. Well, that'd be sorry, Fast and what? Exactly. Just as a vehicle and not knowing the Bechdel test. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. I should, oh my God, should, it's possible. We shouldn't assume it's that filmmakers know anything. Filmmakers are drive? very... Drive? It's are, just called drive, not... Oh. <laughs> filmmakers can be very myopic. and <laughs> really just focused on their story. Um, so, uh, you know, so yeah. So it has all these car chases and can they be exciting? Sure. Um, Do you find the Fast and Furious car chases more exciting? I mean, I feel like the Fast and the Furious ones were so much more proudly ridiculous. And I feel like if you're doing a car chase, mm. which is just one of the most, like, it's a it's a cornerstone of film. You know, like, when people ask what, what do, you know, what was one of the things that movies could do that, like, plays couldn't? Like a car mm. chase, <laughs> uh, you know. So it's like it's it's like the cornerstone of of you know movie set pieces. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna do it, like you gotta do something cool with it. And like then these car chases are just like they're exciting, but they're like we've seen these a million times. Mm-hmm. And just putting a fucking Carla Thomas song over it, as much as as great as Carla Thomas is, is not enough to make it not just another car chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it that was not uh, yeah that was not pushing anything over the top for me. So it was a Corolla then. <laughs> I mean, that would have been funny uh, <laughs> if it would have been because like I, my car that I went to college with was a 92 Toyota Corolla that had been my mother's. And uh, and I don't think I had it when I first went to college, but by the end I did have it. And uh, and that car was my everything. I can imagine. Was it like gold? No, it was red. Oh. 92 red Toyota Corolla. Wow. And uh, I always see this one parked like right next to my apartment every morning. And I always just like look at it longingly. You're like, mom. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm a grown man. Stop it. I'm 35. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, and I already, I'm fucking dreading the end of the year because of this movie, because it's going to, I know it's going to come up at work. Uh, I know it's going to come up as like a best of pick at work. Um, and I've already hearing like so many of my friends and colleagues and people I respect being like, oh, best of the year, best of the year. Whoa. I'm, I'm like, fuck. Really? Yeah, really. 
Like this, people fucking love this movie. Hmm. What? I mean, what? What do they? What do they love that you're missing? They just think. What it's, are you doing wrong here? <laughs> they think that it's just like pure cinematic joy. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so they think it's like La La Land. They. they oh, <laughs> the tables have turned. Hmm. They think it's just like pure cinematic joy. They're like, oh, it's just so. They think it's so fun. Um, you know, the combination of the songs and I mean, people. Like, I feel like you can't really trust a movie that relies, that rests this heavily on a soundtrack. Yeah, Forrest Gump. Because, because songs, you know, like songs are there to, you know, to sort of like force you on this emotional experience that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's like you, a, a, a slideshow. You can you just co- put like a bunch of photos to a right. song. That's uh... Yeah, you can cover up any, any you know, sort of like slapdash filmmaking with a great song and suddenly it's elevated. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like it's such a... And it, God, it also takes me back to fucking Suicide Squad. Uh, remember oh. how many songs were in that movie. Yeah. They were and so... I, on, yeah. And they were way too on the nose. And this is not nearly that bad. Um, like the songs, by and large, are not like super well-known songs. Um, but all the same, I'm just like, okay, so it's a movie. It's Drive with a Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, like I said. Uh, it, 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 it's not really more than that. There, it's just a lot, a lot, of, a lot of flash... Um, you know, and no substance and, and, uh, but, and which I'd be willing to forgive. I was like, oh, at least it's like, it's like fresh style, but it wasn't fresh style. No. Like I've seen this a million fucking times. Where does it take place? It takes place in, um, Atlanta, I believe. It's kind of fresh. Yeah. I think it takes place. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, there's that. Um, you know, and it has like, you know, all star supporting cast. We haven't talked about John Hamm, Mm. Jamie Foxx, uh, John Bernthal, uh, you know, so it has, uh, great people in it. And I will say that it did surprise me in one respect, which is the the final the final psycho that he is left uh, fighting in the final you know in the final climax is not the final psycho I thought it would be. Oh, so it did pull a switcheroo on me there. Um, so that was a surprise. But uh, but aside from that, yeah, I'm just I just uh, and I'm just dreading, guys. I'm just dreading. I'm dreading having to sit there and be like the unfun one who didn't enjoy Baby Driver. But such Do you as... want me to edit this podcast so it sounds like you liked it? <laughs> I loved it. Um, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a consume moderation because it is mm. because it is more than I thought. Well, so, I mean, it is a perfectly enjoyable movie. Mm. Um, it's like not it, best of the year. Category. No, not even close. And if I was watching this movie without any of the knowledge of like, oh, like it's 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 really hyped, um, mm-hmm. then I probably would have been like, oh, that's fun. Um, but I still don't know that I would have been like, oh, it's fucking brilliant. It's a masterpiece. This is cinema at its best. I don't know that I ever would have thought that about this movie um, because it's just too familiar to too many other things that are not like obscure things. These are mm-hmm. well-known things and the movie doesn't twist it. Aside from just like different music cues. So consume moderation on Baby Driver. (laughs) Um, And it is rated R for violence and language throughout. And that's it. Those are all the movies we have for you this week. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on um, iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcast. Jason is on Twitter at Excess Faggage. I am at Fight Balance. And um, thank you so much. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the binge. binge. Hey guys, 
Um, I know we signed off, but I just noticed there's some Michi news. Oof. So I thought we would just cut back in and share it really quickly while I read this to Jason. Okay. Michelle Rodriguez threatens to leave Fast and Furious if women characters don't get better parts in the next movie. She said it on Instagram today. Ooh. She said, F8 out usually today. I hope they decide to show some love to the women of the franchise in the next one. Or I just might have to say goodbye to a loved, fran- to a loved franchise. It's been a good ride, and I'm grateful for the opportunity the fans and studio have provided over the years. One love, shaka sign, heart sign, <laughs> emoji that uh, looks like it has little grabby hands, prayer emoji, unicorn emoji, star emoji, world emoji, monkey emoji thoughtful face emoji oh she is a thoughtful face emoji she is what do we make of this um what's our analysis i feel like they could uh i feel like they could lose her and it would be fine (laughs) (laughs) you're like i would encourage them to call her bluff and i mean i mean the world she could go she could go on like a retreat for a couple years nobody would mind but i think that i feel like this this is a franchise will step up i think they'll say you know what you're right michi not because of you but now you've said it and we have to do something about it I feel like she is just feeling like now she gets to throw a tantrum since there were so many well-documented tantrums that went into the making mm. of the last movie mm-hmm. in terms of what was going down between Vin Diesel and The Rock. But she's like, okay, my turn. Like, I've been here since the motherfucking beginning, you dicks. She's going to throw like, one. Now I'm going to throw a fit. Well, now she has all that uh, and they're like, leverage great. from the assignment. And they're like, we'll kill you off and we'll make sure Ali's a full-on cast member. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing that you could see her posting like before the assignment came out, back when she thought that was going to be like an Oscar moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. But uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I feel like she's wanting to... I don't know that this is coming from an altruistic place. <laughs> I think she's. She I think she's playing hardball. She's playing hardball. The world hardball. emoji and the unicorn emoji she and the thoughtful, thoughtful face. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever have any Michi news, people, let us yeah. know. Um, again, you can hit us up on Twitter. Jason is at uh, uh, Michi News Six Nine. <laughs> you do love the Six and, Nine and excess package. Um, all right, thanks. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. There, there goes, goes the binge. binge.